give us hope. We live in a world that presents us with many challenges, many trials, many hardships and heartaches. And even this week, we go into a week not knowing exactly what's going to happen. But we thank you, Lord, that we can trust you. And thank you that in the midst of a broken world, that you give us hope. It's an eternal hope that gives us, gives us confidence beyond the grave. But it's also a hope that can give us endurance and perseverance here and now as well. And I pray that as we open the scripture this morning, that you will open our eyes in fresh ways to how we can have hope and how we can cling to you in the midst of the challenges that we inevitably face in this broken world. We praise these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I don't know about you, but I like to be happy. And I imagine you probably like to be happy as well. It's nice when things are going well. You know, if you work a job, it's nice when you enjoy your work. If you have a family, it's nice when your family is peaceful. It's nice when we are healthy. It's nice when our sports teams are winning. We like to do well. That's natural to want to feel happy. And we live in a society that teaches us that we have the right to be happy. And even here at church, we sing songs about our joy in the Lord. We sing songs that talk about how blessed we are. We sing songs, even this morning, that say that we were made to thrive. You know, it's so great when we are happy, but it raises the question of what about those times when we are not happy? What about those times when work is stressful? What about those times when we are let down by our bodies or let down by our children or by the stock market? What about those times where we turn on the news and there is another report of a mass shooting somewhere here in America? Or when, when politicians or bullies at school are driving you crazy? What about those times? Or what about those times when, when it feels like God is just ignoring your prayers or when a loved one dies? Or how about just when you realize that there's this difficult reality in your life that no matter how hard you try, it's probably not going to get any better. How do we respond in those times? I mean, does God just expect us to be happy, happy, happy all the time regardless of our circumstances? Does God expect us that when we are struggling with something that we just fake it till we make it? No. That is not what God expects of us. But if you are like many Christians, you may feel um, some trepidation. You may feel afraid to share your honest emotions. You may be, be scared to share with God that you are frustrated right now. Or that you are worried. Or that you are sad. Or that you're upset. Not only with circumstances, but you're upset with God. You know, many Christians are scared to voice these things to God, but we are starting a series today that is called Sacred Sorrow, where we are going to see that God actually encourages us to be fully honest with Him about our deepest and most difficult emotions. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Psalm 13. Psalm 13. The majority of our Sacred Sorrow series is going to focus on the book of Lamentations. But today we're focusing on Psalm 13, lay some groundwork for what it means to lament. Now, in the Bible, there is a book that is called Psalms. It is filled with 150 songs and, and prayers and poems to God. And in the book of Psalms, there are many different categories of these songs and prayers. 
but the largest category of psalms in the Bible are called lament psalms. Approximately 40% of all the psalms recorded in the scripture are lamenting to God. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a go-to lament psalm. Do you have a go-to lament psalm? If you, don't, if you don't, it's someone to consider. You can share my go-to lament psalm. It's Psalm 13. And I like Psalm 13 a lot because it has all the key elements of lament psalms, but it's also nice and concise in only six verses. So I invite you to follow along in Psalm 13 as I read it for us. King David, who wrote it, says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So this is a lament psalm. And lamenting is all about pouring out our emotions to God. And one of the things that strikes me about lament psalms, including Psalm 13, is how raw and honest it is. It is holding nothing back. Psalm 13 is written by King David. And he starts out this psalm by saying, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Four times in the first two verses of the psalm, he cries out, How long? How long? How long? How long? Whatever ordeal he is facing, he wants it to be done, and he wants it to be done now. He is not holding anything back here. He is he's feeling neglected by God, and he's voicing that feeling of neglect. Again, he starts out saying, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Now in Scripture, when we see reference to God's face, I think it's important that we understand that God is spirit, so he does not literally have a face. But when you see a reference to God's face, it's talking about God's favor and God's care and God's blessing. For instance, I think in Numbers chapter 6, which contains a classic biblical blessing that says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. You see, reference here to God's face turning toward you. That, that's indicative of his care, his blessing, his favor. But when we are going through difficult circumstances, oftentimes rather than God's favor and blessing, we feel like God is ignoring us or that he has turned his face away from us. It can feel like God just has maybe even rejected us in those circumstances. That's certainly how King David is feeling here in this psalm. Now, he said, how long will you forget me, O Lord? Now, did God really forget about David? No. God did not forget about David. But from a human perspective, that is what it feels like when you're going through difficult circumstances. It can feel like God forgot you. So David is feeling neglected by God. And on top of that, he is feeling a lot of internal turmoil. We see in verse 2, he says, How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? So this idea of taking counsel in the soul is the idea of wrestling with his thoughts. Perhaps he's laying awake at night in his bed, 
You probably have that experience where you're, you're turning the situation over and over in your mind. You're trying to sleep with anxiety. It's just eating away at you from the inside. Perhaps for King David, he, he's sitting there playing mind games. God loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. These are common things that happen when we are facing challenges in our lives. David's feeling this inner turmoil, and it goes on to say that he has sorrow in his heart all the day. As he is going through his daily life, he's going through his work, he's going through his relationships with people, but he has this sorrow, this sadness, this heaviness just weighing down upon him. He says, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me. Now, now, scholars don't really know in this context who David's referring to as his enemy. Now, we know about his life that he did certainly face a lot of opposition from people, and so it's certainly possible he's referring to an individual or a group of people who are opposing him in some way. But it's also possible that David is facing a difficult circumstance and he's personifying that circumstance in the psalm as his enemy. But regardless, he is obviously struggling. But I want you to know, again, his tone here. He is not holding anything back. He is not trying to be politically correct. He's not just putting on a happy face for God just because he thinks it's expected. He's not saying, well, yeah, everything's fine when it's really not. No, he, he's not holding anything back here. He is being real. And this freedom of, ex- of expression when we are lamenting is absolutely key. It is key when we are lamenting to express our real emotions, particularly to God. And lamenting is an inherently emotional process. Now, intellectually, we may know that God will never leave us nor forsake us. We may know that in our mind. But frequently when we're facing difficult, heart-wrenching circumstances, or just frustrating circumstances, our heart is telling us a different story. And so in those times, we have a question of what are we going to do with those negative emotions? What are we going to do with that anxiety and that fear and that frustration or even that anger? Are we going to bury it? That's what a lot of people do. But the call here is not to bury those emotions. The call is to express them in their fullness to God. That is what lamenting is. Lamenting pours out our emotions to God. Now, I think it's very important, it's critical, actually, if we are going to understand what biblical lamenting is, it's critical to understand that here we see in the life of King David, he is still engaged with God. David, he he feels like God has turned his back on him, but David is not turning his back on God. He is still engaged with God. Look with me to verses 3 and 4. David says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. Now notice here, David, he is upset. He is not happy at all. But he is still talking to God. He says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. He is still engaged with God. And that is absolutely essential when it comes to healthy lamenting, that we are pouring out the fullness of our emotions to God. We are not holding anything back, but that's the key, that we are giving it to God, that we are still engaged with Him. And I have found that as a pastor, I've been a pastor for 10 years now, I have found that there are many Christians who do not feel comfortable being fully honest with God. 
that they feel like it is sinful if they are to tell God that they are frustrated or that they maybe even are upset with him, that they feel like he's ignoring them. They feel like that's sinful. They look in Scripture and they see, well, it says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So God doesn't want me to be upset. God doesn't want me to say if I'm angry or if I'm anxious or, or if I'm sad. You know what? God wants us to, to express the fullness of whatever we are experiencing with him. He already knows it, and he can handle it, and it is healthy for us to express those things to God. And one of the reasons that God wants us to bring those things to him is because he loves us. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, Cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for us. Why should we cast our anxieties on him? Because he cares for us. He loves us. Another key reason why God wants us to lament well when we're facing difficult circumstances is because he knows that lamenting opens the door to authentically praising God. It opens the door to authentically praising God. For, for four verses here in Psalm 13, King David has been venting. He's been expressing how he feels ignored by God. He's been talking about this inner turmoil, this sorrow that's weighing down on him. He is upset. And he's been telling God all about that. Yet you get to verse 5 and see this word, but. He said, God, I'm upset, I'm frustrated, I don't like this, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So the key to understand here is that King David's circumstances have not yet changed. Yet there's a significant transition that's happened. His circumstances haven't yet changed, but lamenting has restored for him a clearer view of God. Sometimes when we're facing difficult circumstances, it's kind of like there's a fog that comes into our life that makes it hard for us to see. And I'm using this as a metaphor, but, but you think about when, you see, when you're trying to, say, drive or walk or operate within a dense fog. It sometimes blocks out the sun. And you know that the sun is still up there, but because of the density of that fog, you cannot see the sun. And you get disoriented in that fog. You get maybe concerned if you're trying to drive in that fog because the fog is so dense. And what lamenting does, lamenting is like a breeze that comes along and begins to blow away that fog. Yeah, you may still have some fog, but it blows it away enough where you can see the sun beginning to shine through once again. The sun was always there. It never changed. But the fog obscured the sun in the same way. Our difficult circumstances, the emotions that we feel associated with them can obscure our view of God. But by, as we lament, it's like that breeze that comes along and begins to blow away the fog. Yes, we may still have the difficult circumstances. And in fact, the circumstances may not have actually changed at all yet. But as we lament, it blows away some of that fog to allow us to see with greater clarity the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And so what happens as we lament is that it opens the door for us to authentically praise God. Lamenting allows us to vent all those emotions to God. And as we do so, and we release those, it opens our eyes in a fresh way to the fact that, God, you are good. God, you are faithful. And it helps us to surrender ourselves to him because we see that we can trust him even in the midst of the difficult circumstance. 
And I think it's very telling. If you were to study all the different psalms of lament in the book of Psalms, remember about 40% of the 150 psalms are lament psalms. All but one of them turn to declarations of praise and trust by the end. The only psalm that does, uh, psalm of lament that does not turn to praise and trust is Psalm 88. Every other lament psalm turns to declarations of praise and trust by the end. It goes through the valley. Maybe it's the valley of the shadow of death. It goes through that, that frustration, the anger, the, the, the difficult emotions, but it comes out on the other side, even though circumstances may not have yet changed with a declaration of praise and trust, because that's what lamenting does. Lamenting opens the door to authentically praising God. Now, how does it do this? One of the key ways is that lamenting keeps us engaged with God. Picture yourself on a dance floor with God. And I know maybe you don't like to dance. I don't like to dance at all. But still, picture yourself with me um, on a dance floor with God. And, and for a while, the music that you're dancing with God to is beautiful music. It's joy-filled music. It's all about God's love and God's grace and God's glory. You're enjoying it so much. But then some dissonance enters that music. The notes don't sound quite as good anymore. And, and then that dissonance represents hardships or trials that enter your life. And there may be a temptation at that point, especially as the music gets more garbled, as you cannot hear that melody of love and grace and glory as much as you used to. Your temptation at that point might be, God, I'm just going to step off this dance floor for a little while. I'm just going to take a seat till the music gets better, till I can hear that, that song of love and joy once again more clearly. But lamentation, lamenting, is saying, God, I don't like this music. I can barely hear that melody of love and joy. I'm struggling here. I can't quite see what I'm doing here. But God, I'm going to stay on this dance floor with you. I'm going to stay engaged. I'm going to cling to you through this until the music works itself out and starts getting prettier again. Because what's the alternative? The alternative is when trials and hardships come, that we step off the dance floor, that we disengage with God, and maybe we try to bury those emotions, or maybe we just try to deal with the hardship Apart from God, maybe we allow our anger or frustration towards God just to make our hearts grow cold, and so we disengage. That's the alternative. But if you step off that dance floor, if you disengage with God through the trials and hardships, there is no telling when or even if you will at some point re-engage with God and what the quality of that relationship will be when you do. And so what lamenting does, it allows us to say, God, this stinks. God, I don't like this one bit, but I, please change this. I have no idea what you're doing, and I wish it wasn't going this way. Lamenting allows us to be fully honest with God, but it keeps us engaged with him. And in the process, it opens the door to authentically praising God once again. And I can tell you from personal experience that lamenting is effective. Lamenting works. Let me just share with you two examples. One comes from back when I was in college. I had transferred for my fourth and fifth years of college to a school in Minnesota. I'd grown up in Missouri. And when I got to Minnesota, I didn't know anyone else in the entire state. I was eight hours away from family and friends. I went to that school to pursue a particular major. And, and I, I was living in an apartment off campus. It was still several days before classes started. My parents had, had moved me in, and then they'd gone back home. And I felt like I was out on an island. I was so incredibly lonely. And I remember one night after just a lonely day, I was sitting at my kitchen table, and it was still several days before classes started. And I remember sitting at that kitchen table, 
just with tears running down my face and just thinking, did I make a mistake? Should I have just stayed in Missouri at the school I was at? I was missing my family and especially missing my friends, missing what was familiar. And it was hard. But I remember in that moment that God reminded me, God, that, that he said, Brandon, basically, he said, Brandon, I'm still here. I mean, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I had that distinct impression that God is here. God, I remember thinking, God is the same here in Minnesota as he was down in Missouri. And in that process, with those tears still on my face, that loneliness, I mean, it didn't completely change, but it began to subside in a big way. I got a sense of peace and hope. Even though my circumstances hadn't changed. It's not like a bunch of new people trying to be my friends were knocking on my apartment door. That wasn't happening. But the presence of God and the recognition of that presence that came through the process of lamenting is what changed my heart in that time. Lamenting is effective at giving us peace and hope, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Now, that was just one isolated circumstance. Let me share with you um, an example that's a bigger ongoing difficulty in my life. You may or may not know that I have eye issues. I've had eye issues for a long, long time, and over the last handful of years, they've gotten worse, not better. Where I have significant vision problems uh, that doctors cannot fix with glasses or surgery or contacts. And on top of that, I have frequent eye pain that doctors can't fix either. And so it's frustrating. It's hard. It's scary as I look into the future and think, what will it be like in 10, 20 years as my eyesight naturally degrades with age? Will I be able to see? Will I be able to pass a driver's test? Can I function normally? I don't know. And I will tell you that it's hard to process through this stuff. I'm at times envious of people who just have normal eyesight. They just take it for granted. If you can see well, thank God for that. But it's, it, it's been a process for years for me, just dealing with this eyesight. And it's an ongoing process. There's not a, not a great end in sight. There's, there's not a lot of hope, humanly speaking, for improvement. I'm hoping just to maintain what I currently have. But the, being able to lament through that process has been so healthy and helpful. Because I've dealt with a lot of frustration through the years. I've dealt with, with um, worry about the future of what will happen. But by lamenting, by just pouring that out to God, and I mean, it's been a process over many months and many years. And it's still not perfect. There are still times to get frustrated. There are still times to get worried. But I'll tell you that, that the peace and the hope that I've been able to experience as I've lamented over that, as I've been just verbalizing to God those emotions, it's helped so much. Brought me to that place of, you know what, I'm still going to trust God through this. And that gives me a lot of peace, even though the circumstances are still very difficult at times and uncertain. Lamenting, it works. And that's why we are embarking on this sermon series about lamenting. Now, starting next week, we're going to be looking at a book in the Bible that uses lament in its name. It's called Lamentations. Let me give you just a brief background um, on Lamentations so we can dig into it next week. Lamentations was written by a man named Jeremiah. He was a priest, but he was also a prophet in the nation of Judah. Now, some historical background. You had the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, and Israel's glory days were in the reigns of King David and King Solomon. But after King Solomon died, Israel divided into two. You had the northern kingdom that retained the name Israel. And you had the southern kingdom that was called Judah. Now that northern kingdom struggled deeply to be faithful to God. They kept rebelling against God over and over and over and over. And God kept sending prophet after prophet after prophet to call them back to himself. 
They kept saying, no, 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 we want to do our own thing. And God kept sending warnings. And eventually came the breaking point, 722 B.C., God sent the Assyrian Empire to, to conquer the northern kingdom of Israel. And you would think then the southern kingdom of Judah would have taken note, would have heeded that warning. And they kind of did. They did a little bit better than the northern kingdom of Israel. But Judah, which had the capital city of Jerusalem, which is the center of Jewish worship, Judah had its own struggles with faithfulness to God. So God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to Judah as well, saying, hey, come back to me. Follow in the ways that I designed you to live. And then sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. And Jeremiah was one of these prophets who was passionately calling the nation of Judah back to God. And finally came the breaking point for Judah as well. In 586 B.C., the Babylonian Empire came against Judah, and especially against Jerusalem. There was a three-year siege that the Babylonian army put on the city of Jerusalem. And during that time, it was a terrible time. People were dying of starvation, and when the people got really weak, then the Babylonian army came in, broke down the walls of Jerusalem, overran the city, burned down the temple, took away all the valuables back to Babylon. And for any of the survivors there in Jerusalem and Judah, Judea, um, then what they did was just take them into exile or enslave them. It was a terrible time. And Jeremiah witnessed all this. Jeremiah, he loved the people of Judah. Jeremiah loved serving as a priest in the temple in Jerusalem. And you can imagine just how utterly devastated he was when it all came crashing down. You think if you're old enough to remember 9-11, think back to what that was like to experience it on that day, September 11th, 2001. You remember those emotions as you saw the, the, the World Trade Center towers burning and then collapsing. I mean, just the sense of shock, the sense of outrage, the sense of unbelievability of how, how did this really happen? Is this really real? Remember those emotions? Jeremiah would have experienced similar, if not greater, emotions. And probably greater because his whole life, his whole passion, his whole calling from God was wrapped up in, in, in Judea and in, um, in Jerusalem. And he was destroyed. And Lamentations is Jeremiah's grief-filled memorial over Jerusalem. Lamentations is Jeremiah's grief-filled memorial over Jerusalem. Lamentations, as we're going to see starting next week, it's tragic, it's heart-wrenching, but it's also beautiful in its own way. Part of the beauty of Lamentations is something you can't even see in your English Bible, but next week, if you come back next week, I'll point out this beauty that is simply amazing when you really understand how Jeremiah wrote Lamentations. And as we study Lamentations, we're going to see that Jeremiah wanted to make sure that the generations to come would never forget that darkest moment in Israel's history. And as we study Lamentations, we're going to learn better how to lament. We're going to learn how to express our emotions to God. We're going to learn, you know, where is God when tragedy strikes? Is there something that God wants to teach us through the trials that we face in our lives. Now, in the spirit of lamenting, we are going to finish our service today different than a typical service here at Freedens. The, the, a big part of the inspiration for this series came from a conversation I had with Carissa, who's our worship team leader. She was sharing with me a song that had really spoken to her that she was meditating on a lot that says, Lord, from sorrows, deep I call. 
And this song is based on another lament psalm, Psalm 42. And so we're going to close our service. Chris is going to sing this song, and the words will be on the screen. We're going to close the service as a way to reflect on this topic of just sharing our emotions with God. And then after that, I will lead us in reading Psalm 13 together to close our service. So, so we can use this time just to reflect on the fact that through our deepest and darkest challenges that we face, God is still faithful. But that doesn't necessarily make the challenges easy. They are hard, but God is still good, and God is still faithful. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are faithful. We live in this world that is so broken, that leaves us with heartaches and pain, frustrations. Sometimes they're just common everyday frustrations, but still they wear on us over time. We thank you, Lord, that we can trust in you. And I pray that you will work in each one of our hearts today and in the coming weeks to enable us to be more honest with you, to lament better when we face challenging circumstances because we will have all kinds of troubles and difficulties in this world. But we thank you, Jesus, that you've won the victory. But between now and then, it is still tough. But Lord, thank you that you're faithful. Help us to remember that faithfulness. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.